Welcome, welcome to Fixin' to Talk Sports. I'm Ryan Brown, and today I am joined by none other than one Michael Ayula. Little Mike, how we doing? We are doing fantastic on this Friday night, Ryan. How are you? Uh, we're doing well. We're doing well. Uh, we are here to talk some final four matchups. March Madness is winding down, and madness it was. Uh, we've got two one seeds, a number two seed, and a double-digit seed, 11-seeded UCLA made it to the final four. So we've got a little bit of everything. We've got the top dogs. We've got literally an undefeated top dog. Uh, we've got a sort of a mid-major uh, up-and-coming dominant team in Houston. And we've got Cinderella to, uh, of sorts in UCLA. Uh, so let's, let's get right to it and start with the first matchup. Uh, that's going to go down on Saturday, that being the Houston Cougars taking on the Baylor Bears. Uh, Baylor had a a little bit of an interesting road to the final four uh, in that they really uh, weren't challenged, at least by looking at the final scores. Yes, they they played some very competitive close games, but when all of a sudden done, they pulled out each and every time uh, to get the job done. They took out, uh, dispatched of Hartford in their first round, 79-55. Thank God they did. Fuck Hartford for taking out my prized Riverhawks. No further comment there. In the round of 32, Baylor took out Wisconsin, 76-63. In the Sweet 16, they got Villanova and won 62-51. And then Good. in the Elite Eight, they beat a very talented Arkansas squad, 81-72, to to win their region and advance to the Final Four. Uh, meanwhile, on the other end of this matchup, you had Houston. And they had a very, very uh, interesting road to the Final Four in that they played all double-digit seeds to get to the Final Four. Uh, I believe the combined seeding of the opponents they played was tied for first most ever for a final four team. Uh, I believe it's tied with Michigan state from 2015 or 2016. They got, they took out the 15 seed Cleveland state in a route 87 to 56. They survived 10 seeded Rutgers 63 to 60. Then they handled 11 seeded Syracuse in the sweet 16, 62 to 46. And then in the elite eight, they took on the 12 seeded Oregon state, beavers and survived 67 to 61 so mike having gone through each team's road to the final four what stands out to you as uh each team's how each team got here um well looking at houston i I was looking across the brackets last night and it's funny you bring up the seating i don't think i've ever you know outside of maybe michigan state seen a team get all double digit seeds on their road to the final four. I was looking and I was like, Rutgers was really the highest seed they played and it was the 10 seed. That's actually incredible. Now, given Houston did come from the supposed region of death. So a lot of those double digit seeds were not pushovers. Rutgers was firmly in contention in the big 10 for most of the year as a relatively good team. Syracuse always gets hot in the tournament time as a double digit seed. And Oregon was the hottest team in the country in this tournament. I mean, 
my goodness, they went from we're not even going to make the tournament to we're in the Elite Eight, taking advantage of our automatic bid. Shout out to them. But but for them to get all those teams and to avoid the likes of Illinois or West Virginia or San Diego State, any of the higher seeds in that region, they weren't pushovers, but they skated by on their matchups that they could have had going into the Final Four. Um, they're a talented team, but they got they got blessed on their road. As for Baylor, I, I think they got a pretty predictable road when you look at it outside of maybe avoiding Ohio State, who was shockingly upset in the first round. Um, a lot of their matchups were pretty predictable all the way throughout, and they handled their business accordingly. Uh, they looked every bit the part of one of the top two teams in the country that they've been all year. They showed their top-end talent. They showed their depth. Uh, they showed their heart. This looks like a team that is ready to make a run for the national title. Yep. So let's get into some keys for the game. Uh, I've got two keys to this matchup, and uh, they are as follows. First, I think the question is, will Baylor be able to hold their own on the glass against the second best offensive rebounding team in the country, that being Houston. Uh, Baylor is a bottom 100 in the bottom 100 nationally in defensive rebounding. So if there's one way that Houston can expose Baylor, which has minimal flaws, but one of their big flaws is they're kind of undersized and they struggle to, to rebound on the defensive end. And Houston has been taking advantage of teams like that all season long. If they are able to do that, then that will be a huge factor in tilting the, the game outcome in their favor. Uh, and a little bit of, of a tidbit for how that might come into play. In Baylor's two losses, they gave up 23 offensive rebounds and were out-rebounded on the defensive glass by a combined 26 rebounds. So if there's one way to get the upper hand on Baylor it's through just pounding them on the glass and getting second chance opportunities through offensive rebounding and Houston's shown the ability to do that all season long so it'll be interesting to see if that trend continues uh, my second key will be can Houston avoid the turnover bug that Baylor has forced upon its opponents during the tournament now he, now Houston in their three losses all season long just averaged 11 turnovers in its three losses. So that's nothing to sneeze at. That's, that's taking care of the basketball fairly well. Uh, but in, uh, during this tournament, Baylor, had their opponents in this tournament have averaged 17 turnovers a game. So something has to give here. Either Baylor is going to be able to apply pressure and turn the Cougars over, or Houston is going to be able to take care of the ball. And Baylor is going to have to come up with other means of scoring other than off of turnovers. And when you look at uh, some of those advanced metrics, like uh, of scoring on effective tournament possessions, or and when I say effective, I mean turnover-less possessions, Baylor barely outscores their opponents on such possessions, which means the difference really for them is that they create turnovers and they capitalize on them. So it'll be interesting to see if that continues as well. Do you have any thoughts on either of those two, Mike? 
Yeah, I would definitely agree that rebounding is going to be a big key for Baylor. Uh, they're more of an undersized team in terms of they play Vital at the four and Meyer comes off the bench as their backup four. Neither one of them is big guys. When I watched Houston play um, Oregon State the other night, they are a really big team inside and they love crashing the glass and getting second chance points. They're not the best shooting team, but they know how to create extra opportunities for themselves and keep themselves in the game. Uh, as for the turnover bug, I think that goes without saying. Um, you know, Baylor has one of the best turnover makers in the country and Davion Mitchell, I think without question, the best perimeter defender in college basketball. The guy's a Marcus Smart clone when you watch him play. He's hard-nosed, big guard, right up on you defensively, uh, not afraid to get after it. So Houston really needs to take care of the basketball. Um, if I can add a couple keys of my own for the game, um, for Houston, I would say keep the tempo of the game down. If you can keep this to a low-scoring game, that is your best chance to beat the Baylor Bears. Keep the offensive rebounds, kill some clock, use the full possession. Don't let Baylor's high-octane offense get going because if this turns into a shootout, you are not going to outshoot the Baylor Bears if you're the Houston Cougars. They don't have the three-point shooting or the guard play to match up with them. The other key is to get Davion Mitchell in foul trouble early. Baylor was dominating Arkansas in that Elite Eight game, and the second Mitchell went out with foul trouble, Arkansas made a run. They started getting right back into the game. Why? Mitchell takes their any team's best player out of the game. He's likely to guard Giroux uh, tomorrow night. Um, and if they can get Mitchell out of the game and get Giroux going as well as Quentin Grimes, they're going to have a chance. For Baylor, like you said, get on the boards. Don't let Houston get those second chances. That's how they can keep Houston in the game and make your shots. If, if Houston, uh, Houston, if Baylor goes out with Mitchell, Butler, Adam Flagler, and Macy Oteague, and they're lighting it up from three, this game's going to be over by halftime. Houston does not have the requisite guard play to keep up with Baylor's four main guards who can all shoot the lights out of the three ball. So it's really, I think those are the, the true keys to who wins this game. Yeah, you, you spoke about those those terrific trio of guards in Macy Oteague, Mitchell, and Butler. Uh, those three are all averaging between 13 and 15 points per game this tournament. They're combined to shoot shooting 44% from the field, but only 33% from three from those three. Uh, so if they're able to step that up from distance, man, Houston's going to have their work cut up for them for sure. Like you're saying, uh, but they've been only shooting a modest percent from downtown. Uh, Quentin Grimes, you brought him up for the guard from Houston. He's been averaging 18 points per game this tournament on 40% from the field and 44% from three. He's been kind of just jacking them up from three nonstop. That's that's where he's living and breathing in, in this tournament. And he's been hitting a good clip of them. Uh, and they're going to need him and Jarreau to carry them if they're going to advance to the national championship. Uh, but let's let's get into our picks for this matchup. Mike, I'll start with you. Who do you have winning this matchup? All right. Um, you know, after thinking about the, the teams they went through, watching them play, I like Baylor in this one. I think they're going to win this matchup by a final score of 76 to 61. Um, I, I think Houston's a good team, but they haven't faced a team like Baylor all tournament. Baylor has looked as locked in as they've looked all year uh, through their first four games, especially the other night. I don't think Houston has the firepower to keep up with this team. I, I think, you know, I, I said on the original podcast previewing Baylor's reasons that they didn't seem like a final four team to me. 
and they didn't going in, but after everything I've seen, they look like a team that could fight for the national championship. So I think Baylor takes this one fairly easily. Uh, I'm going to uh, politely disagree with you. I, I do think that Baylor is the better team here, uh, but I actually think that Houston, having played some really cl- tough games down the stretch, close one possession games down to the wire, I think that could come in handy if this game stays close. Now you're 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 calling for a 15 point win. And in Baylor to cover their five-point favorites at the time uh, of our recording, that being Friday evening. Uh, and I, I think Houston should be able to, at the very least, cover that. I think this is going to be the closer of the two games Saturday. And I actually like Houston to pull this one out. I, I think Quentin Grimes is going to go off. I think he's he's – He's been shooting effectively, but not. He hasn't had any any massive breakout game yet. I, I think he's due, and I think Houston's going to be able to just abuse Baylor on the boards. And I I really don't see a way that Baylor is going to be able to keep it close on the boards, and that's just going to afford them so many opportunities. Even if Houston shoots poorly, they're going to have second chances. Uh, if if what I'm thinking comes to fruition. Uh, So I'm going to take the Houston Cougars in this one to advance to the national championship game. Now let's talk about the second matchup on Saturday, and that would be undefeated number one seed Gonzaga taking on the 11 seeded UCLA Bruins. Now this has David versus Goliath written all over it, except when you look at the conference affiliation, uh, that's kind of roles reversed. But Gonzaga has just steamrolled through the field thus far. They thoroughly dispatched of Norfolk State in their opening round matchup, 98-55. to 55. Oklahoma, they gave them a good bout for about 20 to 30 minutes in that one, but ultimately the Sooners fell 87-71. to 71. Creighton was never really in that game against Gonzaga, and – the Bulldogs thoroughly dispatched of the Blue Jays, 83 to 65. And it was likewise in the Elite Eight, as USC never really was in that one. Gonzaga won it 85 to 66. Then on the flip side, you've got the Bruins, another first four team making not only a deep run, but a final four run. They become only the second first four team ever to make it to the final four from the first four, joining the likes of VCU in, I believe it was 2011, as the only two teams to do that. UCLA's road, they were certainly battle-tested. They took out Michigan State in their first four matchup, 86-80 to in overtime. They upset the BYU Cougars, 73-62 to in their second-round matchup. Uh, they got a little bit of a gift in the Sweet 16, or I'm sorry, in, in the second round, they played BYU in their opening round matchup. In the second round matchup, they got a gift. They got Abilene Christian, the 14 seed, and handled them 67 to 47. Then, Sweet 16, they get the second seed at Alabama Crimson Tide, who had Final Four aspirations themselves. And UCLA won, hang on in overtime. They won 88 to 78, setting up a Elite Eight matchup with the top overall seed in the East, that being the Michigan Wolverines, and UCLA survived 51-49 to to keep the Cinderella story going and setting up quite 
the tail of the tape in this one. So what, Mike, what stuck out to you uh, between Gonzaga and UCLA's road to the final four? Well, let's start with uh, UCLA. Like you said, this is David versus Goliath. And this is quite the David story. I mean, UCLA went from maybe they didn't even deserve to be in to they're, you know, getting dominated by Michigan State in the first half of the playing game to, oh, my God, they're in the final four. I was shocked. I, I had every angling that Michigan was going to win that game on Tuesday night. And, and somehow they didn't. UCLA just keeps doing the unthinkable. They keep winning games. They have no business winning outside of Abilene Christian, who, you know, they did have to play five games, but they, they deserved one gift for how well they were playing. <laughs> on that point. Uh, they've earned every right to be here. They're a talented team led by former Kentucky five-star recruit Johnny Juzang, who has shown every bit of the talent that he was recruited to play the game of college basketball for. This is a fun team to watch. Um, it's revived the conference of champions, the PAC 12 uh, it's, it's hearkening UCLA back to its glory days of being an elitist program in the college basketball world. And in a year where most of the big blues struggled, it's the big blue that everyone forgets about that has made a run to the final four and who is sitting there in their path. But the only team in the country that refuses to lose a game. And not only do they refuse to lose, they win every game by double digits. I saw this the other day looking at Gonzaga. The last time a game was within single digits for them, or the final score was within single digits, December 2nd. It has been four months to the date exactly. Today is April 2nd since they played a game and it finished within single digits. They have steamrolled every single team in their path along the way. And given they play in the West Coast Conference, it's not an elite conference by any stretch of the imagination. But two of the teams that they played on their road to the Final Four, Creighton, who had a very good year in the Big East this season, led by one of the better guards, Marcus Zagorowski, they dismantled them. And USC, who looked every bit the part of an elite team that was underseeded and got red hot at the right time and had one of the best players in the country, Evan Mobley, they turned them to dust too. They made them look like they were nothing. Every time you think... There's going to be a roadblock for Gonzaga. There's not. They have the best five-man unit in the country. They never seem to get in foul trouble. And they always operate with a high-octane offense. It's it, This is saying something, but this is the best five-man unit I've ever seen on the college basketball floor. And I, I don't think that's 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 an overstatement. I, I Just the way that they are thoroughly thrashing everyone. And it's not like they didn't play anyone in the non-conference and then they just walked into a conference slate that was fairly weak outside of BYU and just obliterated everyone. They went out and played the best of the best that they could. They played Iowa. They played Kansas. They played Virginia. Uh, they played heavyweight competition. And it's being reflected in this tournament run. Uh now, circling back to UCLA, the Conference of Champions, man, did we screw up about our Pac-12 takes. And I know that there were multiple people on our March Madness preview pod, Megapod, that were just roasting, just absolutely shitting on the Pac-12 conference, calling them frauds and whatnot. Boy, did they show up and show out uh, in this March Madness uh, so uh, the haters be damned if you're from the representing the conference of champions this year. 
But yeah, uh, just the way Gonzaga has played, that it's just impossible to see anyone taking them out right now. And what I what I said in the preview pod for the going into the tournament was I thought at, by this point they would start to show some cracks just because of the pressure that's building up on them trying to complete an undefeated season. And to this point, there has been no cracks whatsoever. They are just fully prepared and just full, fully just playing on all clicking on all cylinders. So I'm starting to reevaluate my take in that I, maybe they're just impervious to, to pressure. Maybe this is the best five man unit we've ever seen. And is there's just no stopping them. Um, but I do want to get into one thing you said about Gonzaga, and that is that they do not seem to ever really get into foul trouble. And so that brings me to some of the keys to how do you beat this team? And I think first and foremost, it's that. You have to get these guys, these starting guys on their starting five in foul trouble early and often. You've got to get to that, force them to utilize members of their bench as much as possible. and that's really the, the best way to, to limit how good of a five-man unit they have. Uh, the second thing is UCLA is going to have to hold their own on the boards. Uh, Gonzaga, in their two close losses, they are not losses, their two closest wins, uh, that five-point victory over West Virginia, and then uh, that close game they had in the West Coast Conference Championship against BYU, they ultimately won by 10, but they were trailing for a good portion of that game, BYU just couldn't hang on and ultimately fell victim to the double-digit win train that is Gonzaga. Uh, but in those two games, BYU and West Virginia held their own on the boards to make it a close game. And neither team shot terribly well. Uh, West Virginia shot like 33% from the field, 27% from three, and they only lost by five. And then BYU shot 46% from the field, and about 40% from three, and they lost by 10. So you don't have to necessarily shoot lights out, even though this is a juggernaut of an offense, scoring close to 90 points a game, uh, shooting 55% from the field in Gonzaga. Yeah, you do want to be keep pace, be able to shoot with them. But it's been shown that you don't necessarily have to in order to keep it close and give yourself a chance. Obviously, it helps. Uh, and then ultimately, and, and this is more of an in general, but the only way to take this team down, it seems like, is you have to play your best 40 minutes of basketball all season long. And no team has been able to do that whatsoever. And so that's what it's going to take for UCLA or Baylor or Houston to take down this team. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. Um, you know, Mentally, for a team like UCLA, you enter this matchup and you know what you're up against. But when you get on that floor, you have to lock in and reach a level that you haven't reached before. I mean, this you know they're going to put up a ton of points. You know that they're going to move the ball well. You know that they can score from anywhere on the floor. You got to put all of that past you and do your thing. Lock in, try to shut them down as much defensively as you can and just do your job on offense. It's like you said, you don't have to shoot the lights out of the ball, but you do have to, you know, to an extent, 
play your best basketball if you're going to beat this team. Um, and getting back to the foul trouble thing, I think if there's one player in particular who you have to get into foul trouble, it's Drew Timmy. I mean, ever since this tournament has started, he has taken over for them. He's looked like the best player on the floor every single time out. Even against Evan Mobley of USC, he was still dominating inside for them. You know, and that was the first time all tournament Jalen Suggs really looked good. They've got a lot of weapons. They've got Jalen Suggs, who's going to be a top five, probably top three pick in the NBA draft. They've got Corey Kispert, one of the best senior leaders in the country. They've got Aaron Nembhard and Joel Ayayu, two fantastic ball handlers and quality perimeter players that most teams would kill to have. But this team starts and ends with Drew Timmy right now. If you can get him in foul trouble with UCLA, that could be the key because that takes away their weapon inside. It forces them to play on the perimeter more. And it's it's going to make them a weaker team for at least the extent of the first half and give you a puncher's chance in this game. Um, and for Gonzaga, just handle your business. Do what you've been doing. Move the ball. Feed Timmy. Play sound defense. Don't overcommit on anything. You know, they haven't had to play great defense all year because they know they can just outscore everybody. They just have to play good enough defense and get rebounds on missed shots. If they do that, they're not going to have a problem dismantling a UCLA team that, while a great story, is not up to par with Gonzaga. Yeah, and you talk about Drew Timmy. He's averaging 21 points per game and eight rebounds during this tournament run on 62% from the field. So he has been just killing it and been extremely efficient in doing so. And then on the other side, you mentioned Johnny Juzang, the guard from UCLA. He's also averaging 21 points per game during this tournament. And he's been fairly efficient on his own right. 48% from the field, less than stellar 35% from three. But he's been everything that you could ask for and more for UCLA during this tournament run. So let's get into our picks for this one. Uh, I think we're going to be both in agreement uh, that it is going to be Gonzaga in one way, shape, or the other. Uh, I, so I guess let me ask the question of, do you think, Mike, that they will cover the spread in this one? Uh, they are currently 14-point favorites uh, as we record this evening. Does Gonzaga win and cover, Mike? You know, I would love to tell you UCLA is going to keep this game close, but I've got Gonzaga by 19 points. <laughs> I, I would love to tell you that UCLA, I would love, there are a lot of times where I'm like, I would love to be wrong. And this is one of those times I hope UCLA keeps it close. I, I don't see it. I think Gonzaga is, Gonzaga is going to keep doing what they're doing, put up in the high 80s points wise. I think Gonzaga wins 87 to 68, I think. It's, they're just so much better. I, it, barring some unforeseen injury mid-game or somebody getting in foul trouble, this is going to be a blowout. Yeah. Considering how they dispatched of USC in the Elite Eight, I feel like we're in for a similar outcome in this one. Uh, so I am going to agree with you begrudgingly, uh, but I am going to agree. I think Gonzaga is going to blow this one out at some point in the second half, whether it's beginning of the second half by halftime or later on in the, the final five, 10 minutes. I think, I don't think UCLA has enough talent to hang around for 40 minutes uh, or even to cover the spread. Mind you. I mean, Gonzaga is just, not only are they just beating people, but they're 
they're covering the spread and these aren't just like five point spreads or anything like in the previous matchup. These are like 13, 14 point spreads uh, that they're playing, that they're covering against quality opponents. And I, I think I have no reason to believe that anything's going to change in this matchup. So that brings us to uh, the national championship game. You have Gonzaga versus Baylor, which seems like, from day one, it's been a little bit of an inevitability. There were some hiccups on the road for Baylor due to COVID pauses and, uh, and whatnot. But it looks like that dream matchup is is starting to to really come into the forefront as a, as a viable possibility. Who do you have winning that matchup, Mike? So it was funny because – this was supposed to happen in the regular season. Number one, Gonzaga, and number two, Baylor, was set to play on a Saturday afternoon at 1 p.m. And Baylor's program got shut down because of COVID. Um, and I think since then, everyone has kind of figured, like, you know, will we get to see it in the national championship? They've been one and two basically the entire season. And the way it's looked is it's just been a collision course. And I think maybe getting shut down was a sign that maybe we're only supposed to get this once. I don't know. Maybe that's one of those things where it's like, all right, Maybe it was shut down, so we would only get the game of the year in the national title game. The last game of the year would be the best game of the season, the highest quality basketball, the two best teams, the two most locked-in teams going at it on the biggest stage of college basketball. I think that is a single-digit game. I think you have the most talented five-man unit in the country in Gonzaga taking on the deepest team in the country in Baylor. I think it's close to route, but at the end of the day, in basketball, talent wins out, and Gonzaga is the more talented team. I like the Zags to win the national title over the Baylor Bears by final score of 85-81. to 81. High scoring affair and close. That would be very entertaining, and I would be super down for that if it happened. My national championship uh, in this scenario would be Houston uh, trying to stop Gonzaga's undefeated season. Uh, and I, too, have Gonzaga winning i am I'm, I'm changing my mind here I, I really just after what i've seen so far i have no reason to believe that this team is going to crack under the pressure of an undefeated season anymore uh, maybe that will happen come the national championship when it's right there in front of them uh, but so far i have no reason to believe now that that is going to happen anymore uh, I, I just think that they're like you said too much top tier talent uh, in this group to slow them down. You, you've really got to take out one or two of them, uh, at least two of them, uh, whether it be foul trouble or just locking them down over the course of a game uh, to really give yourself a shot. And I just, I don't think Houston's capable of it. And so I would also have Gonzaga beating Houston. I think that one would be uh, an eight or nine point game. So call it 81 to 72. But that's that's pretty much going to do it for this Final Four preview. Mike, do you have any final thoughts before we sign off here? Um, pray for good games tomorrow. Don't expect them. Count your blessings if you get them. And honestly, for the sake of basketball, I know people love underdog stories, but root for Baylor and Gonzaga because that's that's the game we all deserve to see. Like that – I know Houston's a good story, and I'm not just saying that because I picked those two teams. 
root for the two number root for the two one seeds because Monday night will be a hell of a lot more entertaining if it's Baylor that's taking on Gonzaga and not Houston or if UCLA, God forbid, somehow takes out Gonzaga. Yeah. If if we wake up Sunday morning and we have a UCLA versus Baylor or UCLA versus Houston matchup, man, that would be shocking as all hell. Uh, Bill, Bill, Wal- Bill Walton might have the, a smile that stretches from Seattle to San Diego <laughs> at that point. They might have to fly him into the bubble uh, in Indy just to have him call that game or set up some sort of Zoom chat just so he can be on the call for like five minutes uh, at the end of the game. Something, anything. Give him the Conference of Championship spotlight, please. Uh, <laughs> but that's going to do it here on our Final Four preview episode. Uh, For Mike Ayula, I'm Ryan Brown. We'll see you next time.